0: Hello, hello, Welcome along to Benchcast. I'm Neville O'Donoghue, and this is a podcast for Benchwarmers. Stay still in my face. I know you're nervous, but i too. Listen to me now. Listen
1: to me. Whose phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Aguero!
0: We're going to do it. Tyson!
1: Absolutely not. That's a load of rubbish, on To be quite honest,
0: I uh. use a disgraceful football club. Man, what what a belt he's given it! That is amazing.
1: I I, I, love, I love I love me county, you know. We and love John, oh, that's yeah. it. I love John
0: for talking On today's show, I have former Munster and Irish out-half Ian Keatley. We'll be looking back in the Six Nations. I'll also be talking to Ian about his career in the red and green and what's next that he hung up the boots. Sit back, relax and give a listen. Enjoy. Ian Keatley. Ian, how are you? I'm
1: good, Neville, how are you?
0: Not too bad. The first question I want to ask you anyway is, uh, I heard there's a rumor going around that you're that you're playing with Claude Mel these days, and uh, I myself am playing prop with Sunday as well, so a lot
1: of lads asked me to ask you, will you be talking out in three weeks' time? No, 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 no. I uh, actually don't think I'm allowed play i think because i retired this year i don't think you're allowed to play uh to see i, I heard that uh, dennis is back playing for you though he is yeah well look that'll that'll come as a big relief to the lads then and
0: uh, <laughs> yeah dennis is playing with us we're we're doing our we're getting a few good results now thank god but anyway um to talk about i suppose to match what everyone wants to hear about is uh ireland's six nations campaign and they finished off Against the Scots on uh, on Saturday uh, with a good win. Uh, what what were your thoughts on Ireland over the Six Nations, Ian?
1: As as a whole, I thought uh, I thought they were very good. As I think it started off really. I know everyone was saying it was a poor Welsh team. Uh, their, their pack wasn't great, but I think we started off really well. It was, it was kind of very exciting to watch the way the the backs and and the forwards were just so cohesive. Yeah. Um, they are all like singing off the same him, him, she's, um, and it was just, it was just enjoyable to watch. And as a purist watching it, it's it all down to like nothing magical, but just really good decision making by the forwards and really good cohesion out the backs. Um, as I said, nothing magical. Uh, when you actually break down exactly what they've done, it's all very simple stuff, but it's just done really well. as uh, under extreme pressure,
0: what um. What do you think of Andy Farrell? Because he, he seems obviously you would have played a few games under Joe Smith. Like Andy Farrell seems to be giving them more free reign, and they're not, you know, like they seem to be it kind of reminds me of Japan in the World Cup three years ago. They seem to be running everything. Like do you think Andy Farrell is doing a good job?
1: So there's a difference between yeah, and I I think he's a really good guy. He's actually put a lot of onus back on the players and he goes, lads, this is your team. So, like, it gives them a lot more responsibility. Um, and then when you actually feel part of the decision-making and stuff, you actually feel more accountable. It's like, okay, this is up to us now, so we better get it right. Which Instead of someone telling you what to do, which Joe Schmidt, don't get me wrong, he, he, he wanted to do exactly what he wanted, but he's very good at it. And once you bought into it, you, once, I, a few times I was in Joe Schmidt's camps, and, like, you feel that pressure, like, I need to know myself. But once you knew it, you knew that everyone else knew their stuff as well. And it was actually quite relieving once you got to know your your your, your detail because you knew everyone else had it. Uh, with Andy Farrell, listen, he puts them more on, on yourself. He's like, right, this is your team. What the way do you want to play? And you said there, they're running from uh, everywhere. They're not, it's it's all based on purely what the defence does. If the defence gives you that space to run, you, you take it and you run. If, if a team doesn't, and a few times... Uh, teams have like defended that run. They've kicked and they've kicked very well. So um, it's all purely based on really good decisions. And I think that's what Sandy Farrell has, has backed him. It's like if the decision to run is run, we back at 100%. No, d- don't doubt yourself. And if it's not on to run, well, we go to the kicking game, which, we're, which Ireland are very good at too.
0: What do you think of the summer tour now? Just finally in, um, what, what do you think? I suppose a win down New Zealand would be a great achievement. Um, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I was thinking when we played them there in the November series, um, you have to remember, I, everyone was like, oh, it was a great November series. We beat Japan. We beat New Zealand. We beat Argentina. And I, the more I looked at it, I was like, well, Japan hadn't been together. Uh, New Zealand are coming off a three-month, three-and-a-half-month um, series um, in COVID times. And if you're away from home for three months, you're dying to get home. Same with Argentina. They were the exact same. So I was like, oh, I don't really know. Like it was great wins, but I was like, I, w- I really want to see us play New Zealand in their peak, and that's what's going to happen in the summer. So I, I think we'll get a real understanding where this Irish team is. I think they they played really well in the Six Nations, um, but you could say that we lost to France, England weren't at their best, all the other teams weren't at their best either. So I think. It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty big. It's it's that tough balance. Do you want to try out guys in this summer series to see if they're World Cup ready, or do you want to see if we're even ready on a full strength team to take on New Zealand? Because it's going to be happening next year in the World Cup. No, definitely. I, got
0: a, I want to ask you then about finally in the Six Nations about Italy because there was rumors going around that you know they were going to get kicked out of the championship for South Africa, and uh, like that was definitely game
1: of the game of the weekend against Wales. What do you think of it? Yeah, yeah. I was joking there when a few of them was like, did, did you guys win the Six Nations? The, the, the celebrations were going on, but it just shows the relief and the passion that they have. And like they like, they don't probably get the rewards for the effort they put in. Because as I, I was over there for nearly, nearly two years. Like they train just as hard as, as any other team. Like they're not, it's not like they're not putting in the effort. So it, I'm, I'm delighted they got the win. Uh, and what a way to do it as well, uh, that try at the end and, and scoring underneath the post as well. Yeah. i say if the Welsh uh, defence would have taken it back, if they were going to score, make them score in the corner at least. But uh, it, it was great for them. And there's a, a lot of hard work. They're putting a lot of uh, investment into the youth and bringing through a lot of young players. And you can just even see with their Italy under-20s this year, they got three wins under their belt. So it just shows, right, so... They're stripping back the, stripping it all back, and they're concentrating on their youth, the development of the youth, and they're trying to bring them through, uh, through the system. Which, maybe, hopefully now in another three, four years, hopefully they'll be blossoming. Because I know, they're they're still not ready. I know they got the win against Wales, but they still might struggle again next year. But hopefully they they pick up another win or two. Uh, but yeah, it must have been hard for them because they're told they are going to be out of the, out of the championship. Well, the rumor was that they're going to be. Out of the championship, So I don't think that's going to promote rugby or develop the game any, anymore if they get kicked out.
0: No, I actually forgot that, that you were at Treviso, so you would have a good uh, experience there. Like what? So like, just finally in Italy as well, like I want to ask you, Ian, because um, I know they got Treviso and Zebra up the north, but do you think they should, is there any rugby clubs in Rome? Do you think they should try and spread the game more around the country?
1: Yeah, definitely. Especially, especially Rome, the capital. Like you're going to get, like even though it's not as popular, like football is the main sport in Italy. And then I think it's like, they love their basketball. They love, uh, what's it? Basketball. What's the other sport they love? Bo- volleyball. They love that as well. Um, so it's not their main sport, but I think if they went to Rome, I think they get a, a lot more, they get a lot more foreigners coming who would lo- love to live in a capital city. I think that's a big selling point as well. Um, they get a lot more football and they'll get a lot more players, even though they might think it's a rugby country, uh, rugby province. I think they would. And then, uh, like, if they could move, obviously, like, I, I think benetton Treviso is a real rugby town. So I don't think they'd be moving there. But I don't know how big Par- in Parma, where Zebra are. They should be looking to, because that's owned by the Federation, while Treviso is more privately owned. So right. I think they still move that federation. So it's owned by the, the, the Italian federation. They should probably look to move that up to up to Rome. They get hopefully more crowds, more better better players who are willing to, to go there because they'll be living in a capital city um, and, and develop the game that way.
0: All right. And uh, yeah, that's sure, look, we might come back to that. But also on the pod, Ian, I normally talk to guys about their career as well. So I just want to talk to you quickly about your one like that. You went to school in Belvedere, if I'm right and saying, um, yeah. and just looking it up there. Like you you won the Schools Cup after 30 years. And like tell us how did you did you progress onto Leinster then? And then eventually was a Connacht for a few years and then Munster.
1: Yeah, so yeah, we won the Schools Cup after 33 years. Um, and then that's kind of that's when I kind of started learning how to be more of a professional. Like they got us into like um, in fairness to coaches at the time uh Andy Kenny Steve Gibbons Jim Cullerton, and uh, Phil Conway uh and um, they they set up proper like gym programs for us like, I'd never been on a proper gym program so this one it all kind of started proper gym sessions proper gym program proper analysis I remember for the semi-final and the final our coach Andy Kenny gave us like 84 uh pages of the analysis of the opposition like a left foot or right foot or what they love to do there their habits. And I was like, like, I was only like 17, 18 at the time going, what is this like, you know, but it was that that was my first introduction to professional rugby, like, you know, that, that, that level that you had to get to that attention to detail to, to be successful. And we had a sports psychologist in because we hadn't won the cup in 33 years. So a lot of it was like a mental block as well. So we had a sports psychologist in helping us. And uh, it was just, it was just opened my eyes to how, how exciting rugby could be because I never wanted to be a professional rugby player like I loved playing every single sport but until that schools cup I just got hooked especially you go to a lot of the Leinster um senior cup matches they're played in um they're played in well my semi-final final were played in Lansdowne Road and yeah. the atmosphere was like even though it's such a big place but I think I had 18,000 at my school's cup final so just we, we won it just got a little, hook, uh, little got hooked for it and then got called into Ireland under eighteen. So I'd never got like Leinster under 18s or, like, like, or anything like that. And then just through a good schools campaign, just got invited into Leinster under 18s, Ireland under 18s. And then it kind of started taking off from there. And then I started really loving rugby. And then got, got into the Leinster Sub academy, into the Leinster Academy. The two years in the Leinster Academy, and I remember... Sean O'Brien did three years in the academy, Fionn Carr did three years. Fionn Carr got three years in the academy and got let go. And then I was asked to stay on in Leinster, uh, do one more academy, and then I'll be brought into the senior, or else Connacht, who I worked with um, Eric Elwood and Dan McFarland um, when we won the Ireland under 20s Grand Slam. they were my coaches for them so they were like well do you want to come to Connacht and get a, a full contract and play more so as i said i looked at car he got let go and then i was like well i don't want to do that i don't want to waste an opportunity so yeah it was a tough, tough decision obviously leaving home Bit, spent so much time with my mom and dad growing up <laughs> living where we lived and then all of a sudden moved to go away and you're trying to be a professional living at a home no one cooking your dinners or washing your clothes um and I'm, I'm sure we had to go out buy buy food and at 20 years old like yeah back in the olden days you're you're kicked out of home but nowadays there's still people living at home till they're 30 so at 20 I, I was like what am i doing but it was the best thing that ever happened to me really
0: was Kean healy on that team with him which one was it
1: yeah yeah there was a few uh so the Belbo team yeah there was Keane healy I don't know if your listeners remember Owen O'Malley, who was meant to be tipped as the next best team to Brian O'Driscoll, but then he got a bad injury. Paulo Dunner, who was my scrum half. and We, we had a great 9-10 combination um, in school, and then we actually brought it to, like, we, we, we were the 9-10 uh, for the Ireland under-20s. Um, so, yeah, built really good friendships and good relationships in school and then brought it through to, to rugby. I'm still good friends with Keen uh, Owen and Paul, to this day yeah i remember paul i actually because i
0: actually i I actually didn't know you're only 34 because i actually played with ross gray in the leinster schools as well and I actually would have played with him but uh actually isn't he involved with uh, Joe.e you now isn't he or something i was looking it up uh
1: it's a marketing company over in england who do who run things with Joe.e. so yeah. yeah right uh the other thing i just wanted to ask then was um and then how did you come about to go to munster then Ian? So I was in Connacht um, and then did three, well, it would have been two and a half seasons with with Connacht playing. I racked up, in three years, I racked up 80 caps with Connacht. So I got quite a lot of experience. And we got to two semifinals of European Cups. The, I think it was called the Amlin back then. Yeah. Um, so we got great experience. Like that was my first time I played against Johnny Wilkinson. And um, so just, just, playing against him, watching him and all, just slipping back, hitting drop goals. You're like, oh, my God, this man. Yeah. Um, so it got great experience that way. And then uh, I got offered to go, Munster came in looking for me to sign. Joe Schmidt got back on to me to go back to to Leinster. And obviously, Connick wanted me to stay there. So I had another big decision, but it was actually based on, in Leinster, they had obviously Sexton and um, um, who else they had? Madigan was coming up through, uh, and nisiwa was still there. And when I when I left to go to Connacht, they nisiwa was actually signed as a ten, and then they moved him to full back. But so when I was in Leinster or Leinster moved to Connacht, they had Sexton, Cantapomie, Nisiwa um, Christian Warner at the time, um, and they said, "Oh, once Cantapomie moves on, you'll get that contract." And I was like, "Oh, come on!" <laughs> I didn't think they'd. Uh, Kontapomi would move on so so then I went to Connacht and then same thing I had a choice to go back to Leinster Uh, Joe Schmidt wanted me to go back to Leinster or move to Munster where I kind of weighed it up and I was like Sexton was just breaking through he hadn't actually fully broken through then I think that year was when Kontapomi got injured and um, and then um, Sexton got through that then he played the semi-final got a kick and then played the final and won it uh, so I had the choice I had to go there where like Seku was only two years older than me or a year older than me
0: yeah
1: um, or else Munster had Raj who was in he was around 33 34 and I knew I was like, geez I could go there, learn from Raj for for a year or two yeah. and then like it won't be around forever so there's a great opportunity to to develop there so obviously go learn or else and then hopefully become number one there. So that was based that it was it was really just a rugby decision on what's best for my career and obviously moving to Munster which at the time was one of the one of the biggest clubs still is one of the biggest clubs uh, in Europe um, through its history and stuff like that so and then you could learn the thing about Connacht I learned quite a lot of um from you know, I played 80 caps in uh, in Connacht I learned so much but when I went to Munster I still played quite a lot I I played a lot of the were we playing Rabo then? <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to think back. Playing Rabo then, but um, I learned a lot from the players being surrounded by um Dennis Hurley, um Dougie Howlett, Paul O'Connell, Quinlan, Leamy. Like I was surrounded by a wealth of knowledge, rugby knowledge, and I actually learned so much from from the players around me. Even though you weren't playing, probably in the big games but sitting back and seeing how things were done on like the, the intensity the level that went up for European weeks like in in kind of yeah it felt like same week over and over again like mm-hmm. still important but yeah. there was like like Rabo and then Europe and it was just a jump up and it was really cool and exciting to to feel that I remember my first um, uh, European cup match where. We warming up in Talman Park and I had my hands in my it was freezing there, like no. <laughs> freezing I had my hands in my pockets and Paul O'Connell came up ripped my hands out of my pockets and was like we don't do that here kid I was like yeah yes Paul yes Mr. O'Connell right so uh so that was a really a great experience yeah
0: what's the obviously I put you up on our on the on our Instagram last night asked to get guests a question and one of the questions that always comes in for all the guests is who was the best player you played with and played
1: against? Um probably named her already. Um, playing against like Johnny Johnny Wilkinson was but what was unbelievable. I played against Carter, but not in his prime is when he kind of moved to to Racing. Um, obviously he was still unbelievable, but Johnny Wilkinson, I, I played against him twice, once when he was just moved to Toulon. Uh, but then, uh, when they actually got into the Europe, when they had that those three uh, European cups, we played him in the semi final over in Montpellier, and just the way he he was so cool, gliding, and even like you'd have a look at him and he'd be up in the front uh, in the attacking line, and then all of a sudden he'd just drop back and be slotting a drop goal off his right foot or left foot, um, so that was in a person in my position. For him to do that, that was, yeah. it was cool. Um, personally played with, obviously I played with a lot of like really good players. And like there's different, there's different players. Like obviously Roger was kind of cool to, to sit back and watch the way he like just c- controlled the game, kick corners, hit spirals. Um, that was kind of cool too. I learned a lot off more so watching him rather than from him. Um. You've got, like, the likes of Paul Connell, who's probably one of the best leaders. Um, The emotion that he brought to every game and this level of detail. Uh, then you've got, like, sort of, like, zebo who who's unbelievable. Like, just turned up in the right places all the time. Was really creative. Was always a great communicator on the pitch, like, for identifying space, stuff like that. You've got Felix Jones, who I know I'm going on about... <laughs> Uh, Felix Jones who was unbelievable work rate and like would, would punch so much above his weight like the hits that he'd put in for such a slight guy yeah. uh, and how hard he worked and I lived with and his determination for coming back from injuries was just immense and then you got Keith Earls, who oh, like for someone who so like had such a turn of pace like it's actually like when you see it like close up you're like whoa like did he just like he stepped it's his ability to step and keep a pace is unbelievable and it's very similar to they did a study on it it's very similar to brian and risco how they can step they step it's like it's an american football way that they they step they step on their inside foot rather than most people step on their outside foot yeah Uh, there's, there's research done on it, but they're able to step at pace and keep their pace up and keep their so electric. So to answer your question, on them.
0: <laughs> um, Just, Ian, just finally on Munster, because like you spent your most time with Munster. Um, when you look back at it, like you were there for like, the, what, the best part of 10 years, well, 2011 to 2019. Like, do you ever yeah, look so back? Seven, seven and a half years, yeah. Yeah, do you ever look back and go like, because, you see, Munster now at the moment, like it's been a long time since we won a bit of silverware. You know, do you ever look back now with regrets that,
1: you know, we could have, would have, should have?
0: You know, uh,
1: sure you can say that about everything, really. No, I've I've always tried to live my life with with no regrets. Even when I was in Leinster Academy, moved to Connacht, I I, I was like, if you're always thinking about what we should have done, like you'll never actually and uh, Like, obviously, I would have loved to have like won won trophies with with Munster like as I said like I won the schools cup then I went on I won like Leinster under like 18s under 19s like these all these like inter pros uh then won the grand slam and then I was like right I'm gonna have like a great career winning and stuff and then it like then we got to with Munster got to got to uh what four semi-finals in uh in the European cup two. Two finals in the in the league, and yeah, obviously you would have loved to, but like I've just learned so much from that experience, um, and how they always say you learn more from defeats than you do from vict- or from wins. But like I've learned so much and how, and just what I'm trying to bring into my own coaching. Uh, so I'm in coaching now, and I'm trying to bring that into my own um philosophy or my own ideas is how how during those times I would have done it a little bit differently myself, but mm-hmm. I didn't know back then, like at the time I thought we were doing everything perfectly. Uh, I would have maybe changed one or two little things. And, bring it, and that's what I'm trying to bring it into my own little, as I say, coaching philosophy, but no, no, never, no regrets. Um, I was lucky enough to be in Ireland squads, 2015. I started against Italy. Uh, we went on to win the Grand Slam then, uh, or the championship then. And, uh, I was part of that squad, like, and I was with the two thousand and seventeen when I was with I was with them for the whole what eight thing. I know I didn't get to play, but like you still feel, although you didn't play, you're you're there week in week out. You're preparing. You you do feel part of it, but obviously you're not on the pitch, so you don't feel part of it. Mm-hmm. Um. So like, yeah. Obviously, I would have loved to, have won more and, with more because that's that was your goal. Every started every preseason, your goals. What are your goals? Win two trophies, like it it always is. But unfortunately, those times back in two thousand and six and two thousand and eight, like when they did win it, like that was the cat for Irish rugby. That I think that spread on Leinster, Connacht, Ulster to to develop their games. But it's rugby's a different animal now. <laughs> back then, you didn't have your your, your Exeter, your Saracens, your Ex, well, you did have Saracens, you had your Exeters. Like, yeah. like, there's a lot of really good teams. There's a lot more money in it. There's a lot, Toulon, it wasn't the Toulon's the Toulouse, the, the Montpellier's, they're there, but they are big teams now. Um, Would you give I, Munster
0: a chance in Europe uh, against Exeter now and think they have a chance of winning it?
1: Listen, it's, as I said, it's, if, if, if you go on form, you, you, you kind of say, you'd have to say no wouldn't you but but you just never know monster like they like they always show like little glimpses of like oh yeah now they have it like you know like obviously they played dragons a few weeks ago but they looked like they were changing their their style a little bit they were, they scored three tries from kicks in uh, from restarts into them you're like okay okay now they're starting to build and then obviously they had two setbacks down in uh, South Africa but you know you never know hopefully uh, at those two setbacks that uh, two setbacks can really can either either hinder in your hindering your confidence or it can give you that extra focus to okay we're into the business end of the season now we need to come on and now with the lads come back from Ireland you're going to have like Casey and uh, Murray Conway uh, Byrne, O'Mahony like uh, earls will come back from injury like they're all big players from Munster Joey Joey come back as well and they are big players and I think they're needed at the moment uh, to, and when they come back, yeah, because Exeter aren't 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 fully um, firing either. So they definitely have a chance, especially with this tune was a home and away aggregate score. So it's kind of exciting new tournament, and uh, like even if I think the last time we played Exeter, we, it was a ten-all draw over there, wasn't it? Or so. I can't
0: remember that much, man. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think it was. So like. We the good thing is we've gone over there, we've gotten a result over there, and then you can bring them back to Tomlin Park or Tom Park first, and, and hopefully uh, put a score. But you have to remember it's over two legs, so after the first leg, as long as you're within a score or two, you're, you'll be happy enough because that's all you need. It's not it's not a win or lose.
0: And f- final few questions, Ian is um, I'm just interested to know that uh, you said you were mad into all sports. Like, did you play Gaelic football or any other when you were younger?
1: No, and no, that that was that's it's kind of whatever your parents get you into in this. But uh, so I lived beside uh, beside near enough to a tennis club and near enough to uh, to um, the sea. So I played an opera. Would have played rugby, uh, rugby, tennis, sailing, soccer. Um, never got into. I would have loved to have played uh, Gaelic and uh, more, more GAA sports. I'm actually me and Tommy are, thinking about joining our local GAA team now that we've retired. Because right. uh, we, I've always wanted to play it. And I, I find it such – like, I always watch it. I find it such a – it's a class sport, like, the speed, the fitness, the skill level. Um, yeah. But and I would have done a lot of – like, any sport that I saw on TV, like, literally just watch it. Like, we had a – at home, we had, like, a snooker table – or a pool table as well. I, I would have, like, spent hours, hours doing that. darts watching the darts at Christmas. Like, I just – any sport, I just watch it for for hours and hours.
0: What part of Dublin are you from, Ian? Do I? Because Belvedere is the north side of the city, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm from the north side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from uh, Hote. Or, or Sutton. I'm from Sutton. Mum always says Hote because no one knows where Sutton is. But oh, I played at I played Setonians under um, age, oh, and man. then and then joined Belvo. Yeah, Belvo's north side. Yeah, I'm north side. Yeah, a lot of people just go, "Oh, you're D four, are you?" <laughs> Yeah, it's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, for, for, as I said, just one or two
0: more questions, Ian. Uh, just I, I, I suppose, so I got asked this one because one or two lads asked it as well. Because obviously, uh, uh, that time when you're playing with monster and you got booed
1: by the fans, like, you know, what effect did that have you of, on you? Um, yeah, obviously, it's, it's not the greatest thing to ever happen, is it? Um, no, it's not. No, it's not. Obviously, like it was master. Like my parents were in the parents' family were in the crowd that day and like it affected my my mom and then obviously it affected me. Like it just just knocks knocks your confidence so much. Like um
0: But it's all it's also when you see it coming into rugby, like, you know, because like you might associate it with football or soccer, but I've never seen that happen in a and those lads really weren't probably real rugby fans,
1: you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's why you sometimes have to remember, like it's what it was just a very small per- percent of, of people. Uh, yeah, it, it it knocked me. It knocked me for a good one. Well, knocked me for a good probably year to slowly get my confidence back. Um, re- it really, did. Um, affected everything. Really, like affects. It's like it's mental health, isn't it? Yeah. Affects everything about you. Like it affects your confidence. Didn't really listen to music because music would affect me kind Of distant myself from people because I thought the best thing to do was be away from everyone, but surely, um,
0: it would have spurred me into a bit, maybe like fuck them, like you know. So,
1: yeah, 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 no, it did. And but it took me a while to think that way, like
0: yeah. you know.
1: So, and then so that was under Axel, and then obviously Razzie came in, and um, and then it even took me a, a, like half a year, probably through Razzie, to really get my. My well, get my confidence again like just Razzy brought in a great game plan real, so, so just so easy but so effective but everyone it was everyone's accountability rather than just the 10 the 9 the 10 to control the match it was everyone's responsibility and just took a lot of pressure off our 9s and 10s uh, and it was just the best thing that for our team to happen it's like good accountability cr- uh, across the board and yeah um, Shared up a few things and we started playing good rugby again and then I started playing well again and got back into the Ireland squad and then got my confidence, uh, well, b- before that, got my confidence back but it, it just shows that like, like, yeah, your confidence can get knocked and that's, it's okay, that, that happens to everyone but keep believing in the process and um, keep working hard and I suppose the big thing which people forget that over 2000, around that 2013, 14, is really when social media started coming in I'm like sorry. before or for all those things like like you could you they have forms or something like that but like i could i never went on them i never looked at them people were like a lot of fans are going but as a player if you didn't want to see us you didn't have to but then with twitter and stuff instagram they started adding you and like people like just don't watch ah, come on like <laughs> it's like it's like saying don't think about like blinking like the constantly you're gonna think about blinking aren't you like so like i remember the, the media lady said to me one time it's like oh kids don't go on uh, don't go on social media and then you're going why, why? Right? like you're like oh what are they saying uh, but and here's another thing it's just the mental side of people like i could get a hundred compliments absolutely like, well done well played you get one person saying like oh you're shit like but that one would stick out more than the 100 compliments. Yeah. Uh, but ever since then, like, uh, when, when, when I went through it and then got over it, I was so much, like, like it's helped me so much to be, like, a stronger person. And um, I can bring that into my coaching, like, to be more, like, a little bit more thick-skinned. But I had to go through that. And some people are thick-skinned. Some people are, are, are sensitive. And, and, and that's the way the human, the human body is and everyone reacts differently and i went through it and i was glad that like, i was able to come out the other side because it's it is it's a tough environment you feel like the walls are closing in and you're just crying out for a bit of help but you don't want to go looking for help which is which sounds stupid but that's what happens
0: yeah, you kind of answered my question there because you were kind of playing as social media was coming along. So yeah, and then Ian, finally, like, when did you decide to hang up the boots? Then, like, I see you went, went on and played with Treviso, a bit with London Irish,
1: and a bit with Glasgow. When did you decide uh, that you've enough is enough? And um, so I finished up. So I went to London Irish um, halfway through my last season at Munster, and then went to Benetton. Like right, first season we had a decent enough season and got a good few, few wins. And then the next year it was a world cup year. So a lot of the Italian players, and then it was during COVID as well. My wife went home to have her, our baby and I missed the birth of him through COVID. Um, so I got to go home a few days later, saw him for like three or four days and sort of family. And then I didn't see them again for another two months or something like that. So after that, I was like, Oh, like I was like, I need to get out of here. I need to get closer to home. So then uh, for the last six months of Benetton, um, Glasgow were looking for a ten. I was like, right, good opportunity to get a bit closer to home, English speaking. Because it is tough on the family to... I learned a bit of Italian, but my wife didn't, and the kids were like... My daughter was like two, nearly three, three, maybe four then. Um, but they were just struggling, like, with the, a great quality of life. We could go to the beach. sun was great. Uh, but during COVID times and everything was shut, we were just like, we needed to get home. So, anyway, moved to Glasgow. Did six months in Glasgow. Thought I might have got another contract there, but uh, I got an injury just around two months before the end of the season. My first probably proper serious injury, what, what timing to get, and uh, then because I was injured, didn't really get a contract at the end of that. So I was like, I'm not going to, not if something comes up, the right fit on my team. But then I got home. Then I got on Ian Costello, the Munster uh, Academy manager. And I was like, oh, I'm trying to get into coaching. Would you have anything for me? So I was with the Munster under 20s all summer. Then right at the end of the summer, I got an offer to go over to France for a year or for a couple, uh, yeah, for a year. Um, just a one year. And then I was like, I'm not moving the family again. Like, I've had a good career. Um, like, what was it worth it? Just weighed up all the options. I got my foot in the door here with, with Munster, which is such a hard thing to do. Uh, working under Ian Coslo, um, Greg Oliver, Andy Kiriakou, learning quite a lot, getting that experience up. And I was like, oh, it'd be, it was more so if I went and played uh, one more year, it would have been quite a... A more selfish thing to do yeah. rather than think of and, and it was always, as a rugby player, you are a bit selfish because you have to. You have to be. Yeah. But this, the reason then was like, right, I'm back, back in Limerick with my family, living in our home. I, we'd never, we'd always been renting houses. Right. I had never, never owned. So finally, owned a house where I could actually live in, and I was like, right, let's let's think of family first. Let's get the kids into like. A, a normal routine back at home with the uh, granny granddad, cousins where we can see them most weekends and uh, so that was the pure decision I was like yeah it's tough to like to to didn't really like have a, like a final retirement I just kind of said ah oh, well yeah that's done It was kind
0: of kind of similar to Dennis Early I had him on the pod a few weeks ago and he kind of said yeah he could have taken another contract but he just said look leave it now like you know so similar yeah, story.
1: yeah, yeah. But, uh, it, it was but, another thing like I didn't want to like when I went back to Glasgow I actually really enjoyed playing again uh, like I think my last match was actually against Benetton uh, scored a lovely try um and got a lovely assist from from you know the new rule of the, the goal line kick out like I got the ball real quick just took a quick one and we went the length of the pitch to, to score and I was like that was my last match, and I was like, "Listen, if that's my last match, it's not a bad way to go out. Like, nice assist, nice try against my old team." Uh, but I was like, "Yeah, I was just thinking. I was like, I'd, I'd rather go away with still loving the game rather than maybe doing one more year and going, I oh, 'I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done, I shouldn't have done one more year.' Like, I still love the rugby, and then going into coaching, you still want to love what you do to coach because You, I'd be a reflection on on the guys that I'm coaching. So imagine I was going around like hating rugby, trying to coach it. I would have been, I would have been, um, I would have been showing the guys that I'm not. But at the moment now, I'm loving rugby. I'm glad I didn't leave uh, playing on a sour note or anything like that. Uh, I still love this, so I hopefully I'm bringing that into my coach now. That you have to love what you do.
0: Is that what you're at now, Ian?
1: Is it just coaching? Are you with Clan Mill, Is it or? Oh, yeah, just... Co- yeah, head head coaching Clanmel um, which is which is cha- challenging enough because you're dealing with uh, just guys who aren't professionals, yeah. but like they're there, but they still like you've got so many different uh, personalities, different uh, motivations. Like some guys just want to to train and show up. Some guys want to win. Some guys want to like. Just be part of the social aspect and thing. and you're just dealing with so many different um, levels, and you have to respect that because they're not they're not paid or anything like that. So, and then you got guys. So some nights you might have twelve at train, and other nights you have twenty five. But you just and you have to be quite adaptive because you don't know who's going to show up. And you know, you could have you know, like the best session planned, and you're like you only twelve guys come up. And you're like, okay, well, I need to completely adapt, uh, change this, and adapt which is good for coaching. Then I've got I'm coaching with the uh Munster Academy kicking kicking coach at Munster Academy do a lot with Tony Butler who was just on the on the 20s grand slam there. Uh so do a bit with him and then doing set up my own little kicking clinics. Um so doing a lot of private work, uh, doing a lot of kicking uh, classes with guys around that Limerick Cork area. Um so yeah trying to get i haven't really advertised that but i'm trying to get that up and running now because there's a like, there's a niche in the market yeah uh, and a lot of a lot of kids want to learn how to to kick better and it's such a big part of the game now especially with the new 50-22 tour like it's such a big part of the game and it's it's not just nines and tens kicking It's centers back three so andy conway kicked two 50-22s yeah. against england like so it's they're just big momentum shifts so trying to get the kicking, uh, Keeley's Kicking Clinics um, underway. That was a nice little plug for myself there. Right. Um, so you're going, to, you're going to pursue coaching, really, is it? Yeah, well, the way I think about it, I've given 13, 14 years into professional rugby, it's what I know best. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I, and as I said, I still love it. Really enjoying this, like, the other side of it, to the, the preparation, not only into one session, but to, into, like, a weekly session, into a monthly session right. to get the right product. Um, so it's real. It's, it's
0: real interesting. All right. Well, I, I'm growing a, a pure rugby following at the moment, rugby smacks on Instagram. So if you ever need me to give it a shout out, no bother there. Um, finally, Ian, as well, a quick thought on Devin Toner, because you would have played with him. He, he hung up his boots yesterday.
1: Uh, what a player. Yeah, what a man. Like for like, six, six foot ten, to be able to to get through the work rate right, that he gets through and like, Six foot ten, getting down, hitting guys like getting low. The, the the depth that he has to get down to to hit breakdowns, I and mean, he hits a lot of breakdowns. But uh, there's been a few times he'd been left out of the Ireland spot, but he'd be quickly called back in because yeah. what he brings to the line out, like like men who are six foot ten and able to move like like he can, not that you don't find them around Ireland too much. And he was a. Uh, he was a very good rugby player but you know what he was, he was actually a real a true gentleman off pitch one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet him and uh, his wife Mary like they're actually really nice people and uh, I know my wife talks to, to, to Mary a good bit um, but just that's just the marketing man it's just a real nice quiet man who just goes about his business really well alright and finally a, I do this with all my guests uh, 60
0: seconds quick fire questions alright so okay. uh, uh, favorite food? Hey. Right. Favorite golf course? There, man. How often do you do your dirty laundry? Ask <laughs> <That's> my wife. <laughs> West Life for Boys on? Uh, boys up. Uh Favorite holiday? Uh, Portugal. Who would play you in a movie? Uh, Ryan Reynolds. Favorite film? Uh, me, myself, and Irene. Uh, Go to karaoke song? Career if you weren't a rugby player?
1: Uh, hopefully, a professional coach. Right. Uh, Go to breakfast food? Uh, poached eggs. Craziest oh, scrambled egg. Sorry, scrambled egg and peanut butter. All right. Craziest thing you've ever done? skydive bungee jump best book i've ever read uh the boy in a
0: striped pajamas and finally leg day or chest day uh, leg day oh, well. all right ian hopefully i'll see you in three weeks time up in clan mail and we'll get to the win hopefully <laughs> yeah yeah. no better all right see you never ian thanks a minute for that okay thank you bye 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 you too bye bye and thanks for listening and thanks again to ian for coming on the pod he was part of that Belvedere, Belvedere team that won the Cup and obviously a great player for Munster and Ireland and obviously a great professional. So thanks again to Ian for coming on the pod and I wish him the very best of luck in the coaching but not too much luck when uh, when Sundays will take on Clonmel in three weeks' time. Until next time, where I'll have someone else from the world of sport on. Remember, you can get this on Spotify and wherever else you get your podcast. I'm Neville O'Donoghue, thanks for listening and I'm out of here.